people can see the value in them. Uh, they oftentimes increase uh, quite a bit. You know, you see babble hunts that in 1960 were available for 10 cents or a quarter at a stadium, uh, now selling for several thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, and even more recently, bobbleheads that were given away at a game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10 years ago at a Brewers game, for example, selling now for a thousand dollars. So, uh, pretty crazy. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune. I'm your host, Arnold Stricker, along with co-host Mark Langston. St. Louis in Tune focuses on issues that impact and connect the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Co-founder and CEO Phil Sklar from the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum on the line with us today. Phil, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great. We're doing fine. Thank you. How, how are things up in Milwaukee land? Cold. Uh, you know, we have uh, quite a bit of resurgence of COVID, so not the best. The museum has been closed uh, since mid-March, but oh, we're wow. chugging along producing uh bobbleheads and selling them online so we've been keeping really busy during the pandemic but uh yeah so far uh, we've been staying healthy and trying to keep busy now how does a guy who has a bachelor of science in finance a master's of science in accounting from notre dame an mba from northwestern university's kellogg school of management who's been a senior auditor at ernst and young end up being a founder co-founder of a national bobblehead hall of fame and museum shouldn't laugh (laughs) yeah so i i guess uh, the quick answer is uh sort of getting bored climbing up the corporate ladder. Um, I don't really like heights too much. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. I was starting to, you know, climb up and continuing to progress and uh, just sort of decided to jump off the ladder and, and go to a new one where I could control things and, uh, yeah. you know, build build something from scratch. So, you know, the MBA from Kellogg and that other the work experience, yeah, prepared me for, for that jump in uh, 2014, me and the other co-founder, Brad, who's been a longtime friend, uh, made that leap, and we've been plugging away at it ever since. Now, you've got this, uh, I guess, timeline on the website of the the history of this, and kind of goes back to 2002 when Brad was collecting these bobbleheads uh, as as he was a member of the uh, Rockford Riverhawk staff, which is, a, what, a minor league uh, baseball team? Yeah, minor league team in Rockford, Illinois, so just uh, north of you a little bit and south huh. of uh, us here in Milwaukee. But, yeah, he they gave away a bobblehead for the first time, and he got it. We were both going to school in Milwaukee uh, for undergrad at the time, and we thought, hey, you know, if we're going to go to uh, Brewers or Bucks or local hockey game, we might as well circle the bobblehead dates because thought they were fun. We saw online they were selling, you know, for – sometimes $50, uh, and they were given away for free, you know, at huh. the price of your ticket. So we started going to those games specifically and built that collection up. And before we knew it, the collection was growing a bit out of control. Now, a, a bit out of control, like uh, well over 1,000, right? I, what I read, it was like uh, taking up your dining room table and everywhere else there. <laughs> yeah, I was in the kitchen table. uh you know, we got a call shortly after we announced the idea for the museum uh, from the, a producer at the Today Show saying they wanted to do a segment and to keep those bobbleheads on the kitchen uh, table because they wanted to uh, to film them there. Uh, and yeah. So 
we yeah, we kept them there and then moved them shortly after that because we were you know getting them out of the condo and uh, getting ready to get the museum opened up. Wow. So the it's kind of like the, the personal collections, and then you had donations made by people. I know I remember reading that one person who was uh, uh, terminal had a terminal illness donated his collection, which was what like fifteen hundred or two thousand or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. It started with the personal collection. We uh, announced the idea in November of twenty fourteen, and before we knew it, we were getting bobbleheads sent to us from teams and individuals, organizations businesses across the country who wanted to contribute their bobbleheads to the collection and have them on display. Um, one of the people who saw those, that story was uh, Bob Manick. They called him Bobblehead Bob, um, and he had amassed a collection of about 1,500 bobbleheads. People would you know, get them whenever they saw them at flea markets or garage sales or games and, and bring them to them. And uh, you know, he saw our story, and he had a terminal cancer um, and decided he wanted his bobbleheads to go where people could enjoy him, uh, asked, you know, when he was going to be alive. And uh, so he donated them. We were able to get him some great uh, attention. His story was featured on CNN and ESPN, among dozens of other outlets, which he was able to see while he was alive. And we recently had his family uh, stop by and able to see a plaque dedicated to him at the museum as well as uh, so many of his bobbleheads on display. Wow. Uh, very, very cool. What, what's the affinity of, of bobbleheads? Why Why do some people just like go crazy and yeah, Google over them? They do. Yeah, it definitely is a more of a North American phenomenon, although we see it growing <laughs> elsewhere. Uh, you know, we do like to collect uh, more so in, in the U.S. as opposed to other countries, so I think it's a little bit of that. Uh, the second is we have, you know, such affinity for our sports teams and players here, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, people in St. Louis going nuts for the Cardinals and Blues, uh, you know, there's just that level of sports here in the U.S., unlike a lot of other countries, and people want to show off their pride, and bobbleheads do a great job of that. And I think the last thing is people can see the value in them. Uh, they oftentimes increase uh, quite a bit. You know, you see bobbleheads that in 1960 were available for 10 cents or a quarter at a stadium, uh, now selling for several thousand dollars. Wow. Um, and even more recently, bobbleheads that were given away at a game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10 years ago at a Brewers game, for example, selling now for a thousand dollars. So uh, pretty crazy. Not every bobblehead is like that, but there's definitely uh, quite a few examples and uh, people just see that and, and they enjoy them. Because the history of bobbleheads really kind of started uh, in in Asia and huh. uh, with you know I was reading something about uh, the King of England or it was the uh, Duke of not the Duke of Windsor maybe it was the Duke of Windsor yeah who uh, yeah yeah there was a, a Queen Charlotte uh, was one of the first there's a painting of her um, in Buckingham Palace with two figurines behind her that had heads that nodded they were on <laughs> uh, sort of a sweet spring like contraption and those bobbleheads are actually uh, still in the collection at Buckingham Palace and uh, similar ones are sold for about 35000 a pair uh, two separate bobbleheads but um, definitely not the ones that people sort of envision when they think of a bobblehead today <laughs> but uh, definitely something that uh, you know if you have them around uh, some of the older ones can definitely be pretty valuable. Now are most bobbleheads 
you know, I remember growing up as a kid, you always saw the sports ones, like the right. baseball ones for sure. And it was really, at the time, I guess I was only exposed to the baseball ones, but right. uh, it was mainly sports. And then it expanded really kind of into a lot of different areas, correct? Yeah, so 1960 was when the first sports bobbleheads came out. Um, actually, all the leagues had bobbleheads in that time, so baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. Um, there were officially licensed bobbleheads representing all the teams. Baseball was definitely the most popular, followed by uh, football and then probably basketball and hockey uh, next. But uh started out that way, and really soon after 1964, there was a set of bobbleheads for the Beatles that was released. It was Extremely popular, probably the most iconic non-sports bobbleheads, and now it's probably about 70% sports and 30% everything else from movies, TV, comics, political, uh, you know, really, you name it, uh, it could be turned into a bobblehead, and if it hasn't yet, it's something that we're probably working on or somebody is working on out there. Now, I uh, noticed that um, you guys also sell bobbleheads for for good causes can you kind of explain that uh, one in particular where you know it the benefits of the bobblehead go to the special olympics yeah so we've you know done quite a few bobbleheads uh, starting with really the first one that uh, started the whole concept for the museum uh, the friend of ours who we met and back in 2002, uh, when we came to Milwaukee and we were going to school at UWM and started collecting bobbleheads, uh, he's a manager for the Milwaukee Panthers sports teams and Special Olympian named Michael Pohl. And we thought, you know, about 2013, hey, let's uh, see if we can get a bobblehead of Michael made to honor him and raise money for Special Olympics. And we reached out to the school, but they didn't really have a budget, so we took matters into our own hands and. Uh, found out about the production process and everything that goes into making and uh, producing and selling and marketing a bobblehead and had a really good experience with that. You know, he loved it, uh, people that knew him and even people that didn't know him or, you know, had only heard of him, uh, loved the idea and bought bobbleheads. And so we uh, sort of started brainstorming other ideas and have always tried when there's a nice fit like that to build in a charity component. Uh, we did it more recently, and our biggest uh, endeavor was with Dr. Fauci, and uh, to date with him and governors and essential heroes uh, since April 1st, we've raised over three or now close to $300,000, just yeah. right around that mark uh, for uh, PPE for uh, hospital and healthcare workers. So uh, it's definitely something that we enjoy doing. I think it gives people a great uh, feeling when they're buying something that you know, supports a great cause as well. That's that's tremendous, and I, I want to compliment you on that because it, it's not a selfish thing you're doing there. You're really uh, assisting other people in in a in a huge way. Now I know bobbleheads used to be just kind of like one cast. They were uh, either you know paper mache or like a bisque kind of thing, and then they would be painted different colors, etc. But you kind of got into this where you, there's custom bobbleheads now. You know, you got the Dr. Fauci. You've got Vice President Pence with the fly on his head from the debate. Now, what? Talk about some of some of those, and also how do you do those? Yes. Yeah, so you know, things have come a long way since you know the 1960s when you look at those bobbleheads, and it was like you say, one mold. Everybody looked the same. Uh, 19 mid 1960s, there was bobbleheads of four players: Mickey Mantle and Roberto Clemente, 
uh, Roger Maris and Willie Mays. And they, I mean, they looked maybe a little bit like the player, but it was more of a generic face as well. And it was 1999, bobblehead sort of reemerged in popularity when the San Francisco Giants gave away the first one. But even then, it was sort of the same-looking body, a little bit different head. Uh, but today, we can do pretty much anything we can. I think the Mike Pence one is a great example. Um, and we just saw pictures of the painted bobblehead from the factory for the first time yesterday. Uh, you know, we have him at his desk with the exact, you know, poses and uh, facial expression and, you know, a really detailed fly with even a plexiglass bike barrier uh, next to the desk. So that's something that, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, wouldn't be able to be done to that level of detail. So it's something that has definitely advanced and we can, we can pretty much turn anything you can think of into a bobblehead and, and make it something fun and unique that uh, people out there will uh, enjoy. So you take a picture, somebody sends in a picture, which helps with the likeness, obviously, right. and uh, I guess plastic is easy to um, you know, yeah. mold and things like that. And I, then you... I think they're sending a picture in of you right now, Arnold. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's on its way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that is, that is how it starts out, uh, just with pictures and uh, graphic design helps a lot, computer renderings help quite a bit, but also the sculptors have gotten a lot more... Um, advanced and do a lot better job you know after dozens of years of doing it and they are all hand sculpted you know the initial mold is hand sculpted and then uh, additional molds are made if you have you know a thousand or ten thousand or forty thousand made uh, and then they are hand painted uh, eventually we'll, we might see expect to see 3d printing uh, playing a big role yeah uh, and other oh, yeah. technologies that could you know revolutionize the process but for now it still is very uh, hands-on and, and detailed process so the museum you have a museum how how large of a building is that museum is it a big yeah bu- so we have about four thousand square feet uh, and about sixty five hundred unique bobbleheads on display um, everything from you know the sports to the non-sports every team uh, is represented with at least one bobblehead most teams have if not dozens, sometimes hundred uh, bobbleheads, and then you know, all the non-sports uh, bobbleheads are very well represented as well. Everything from, like I mentioned, the political bobbleheads, which Milwaukee is supposed to host uh, the Democratic National Convention this year, so we were gearing up for that before it got basically canceled. Um, but yes, yeah, just a, a huge range, and then also exhibits and information about the history and the story behind them and um, how the museum came together and just uh, a lot of different uh, things that people wouldn't really uh, expect to to be able to find or to learn about. And I guess once you come and and experience it, you walk away with a lot more knowledge about bobbleheads than you probably ever uh, thought you would. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your oldest bobblehead that you have at the museum? Yeah, so we have some from the turn of the century from the late 1800s um, at the museum and on display. Uh, The history timeline has uh, a lot of the ones that I mentioned from the first stadium giveaway bobblehead to the Beatles set to, uh, you know, uh, Willie Mays and some of the first player bobbleheads. So definitely uh, have a great cross-section. And we are looking, you know, we continually add new bobbleheads to the collection. We don't have them all. We do have quite a few that aren't on display um, so we can rotate in and out, and you know if the Brewers are playing 
you know, the Cardinals, we can have a, a special section of, you know, more Cardinals bobbleheads for all the, the yeah. fans that are in town uh, for the game. And we do get a, a ton of visitors uh, when any teams are, are coming through Milwaukee area, whether it's the Bucks or the Brewers or Packers or uh, Badgers. Uh, we see fans, people traveling from all over the place and, uh, the Bobblehead Hall of Fame has been on a lot of their itineraries. Wow. Now, I, I'm looking at, I, I know that you have like this uh, three-foot-tall bobblehead of LeBron James. Oh. And I'm looking right now at your Hall of Fame picture where you've got this uh, guy in the middle. Uh, he's pretty tall, too. What's he, four feet tall or something like that? Wow. Um, I think you might be referring to, we have a sort of our... We call it our founding member bobblehead, which members receive. Uh, just that classic 1960s bobblehead yes. look. But we have, uh, yeah, he's just tall, so he's taller than most most visitors. Uh, <laughs> and his head bobbles really well. Uh, during the quarantine period, we got a a seven foot, I think seven point seven and a half foot tall Vladimir Guerrero bobblehead. Um, it was gifted to us by the producer and some. Uh, looking at him now, babbling his head, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're uh, if it babbles, it's uh, something that we're interested in having. So uh, this is a real technical question. <laughs> uh-huh. How has you know? I'm I'm interested when you mentioned you had one from like the late 1800s, and now you have this like this big you know, however big that Vladimir Guerrero one was. You know, the springs have to be you know, oh, yeah. really heavy duty for something like that. Has the <sighs> How bobbleheads are put together changed at all, or is it pretty much kind of the same deal over the over the course of you know a uh, uh, hundred years? Yeah, so it has changed a little bit. Some of the earlier ones are more on a hook type contraption that makes the head bobble. Uh, in the 1950s, it changed to more of the standard spring that we see today. But you know, in general, the bobbleheads have always sort of just been the body the spring or some type of contraption that makes the head nod and then the head. So it's been, it's something that's been consistent. I think that's one of the things that's led to the staying power and and making them that pop culture icon that they've become today. Now, how does a bobblehead become a hall of fame bobblehead? You know, what's, what's, what's the criteria there? You know, that's a great question. And I think it uh, really comes down to being unique um, and being something special uh, we have one bobblehead in the Hall of Fame, and our goal or our you know, initial plan was to have our first official induction, you know, our first major class uh, this year, but the pandemic has sort of pushed that out to next year. Uh, but we'll have a voting panel as well as members of the museum and the general public to help decide which bobbleheads truly are uh, Hall of Fame worthy. And the only one in there right now is uh, Pete Rose. We gave uh, the public and option or the ability to vote whether P. Rose's bobblehead should be the first one okay. allowed in the Hall of Fame. And this is obviously because he's not allowed in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, and it was about 94% saying yes, so we decided we'll make his bobblehead the first one in the Hall of Fame. And we had him in Milwaukee a few years ago to accept that honor, and uh, his bobblehead is right now alone in the Hall of Fame, but probably will be joined by... Uh, Several other bobbleheads soon. So it could be sports, or it could be you know something else. Just if it, it bobbles, it, it's if it bobbles, yes. If it bobbles, so if it that, bobbles. that's the 
prerequisite. And we were talking before we uh, started interviewing you that I remember dogs in the back of cars where their heads would go up and down. Would Uh that be considered a bobblehead? Yeah, so I'm looking at a full case of uh, dogs and cats and panda bear, all different animals. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the ones uh, are those, you know, those ones that people had in the windows uh, with the dogs that have, and those more are the uh, hook-type contraptions with their heads bobble, and, you know, those are uh, definitely part of the the bobblehead history. Now, do you have one that where the lights light up of the of the dog? Because I remember seeing one the when eyes. I was a kid where people would put the brakes on, the lights would go on on the head of the dog or the, 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 the turn turn lights. Yeah, the eyeballs. Do you have one of those? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'd have to look into that. That's we'll sell I, you one. You know, maybe we have some, but they're not. Uh, the you know they no longer light up because they're not connected. Um, but yeah, that's definitely uh, something I'll have to look into. I don't think I was around. At that time, but uh, definitely uh, have to look through our collection and see if uh, if we have one of those. And and we did mention uh, previously that January seventh of twenty fifteen was the inaugural National Bobblehead Day in the United States, and also the world's largest bobblehead was fifteen feet tall, named Goldie. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's big. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah, January 7th is one of our favorite, probably our favorite day of the year. Um, and so it's always, we always have a fun time with that. We uh, got it the day recognized as National Biblehead Day, and now you know, every team across the country, for the most part, is tweeting and doing social media promotions and interacting with fans, doing giveaways at the stadium, uh, all kinds of different fun things for the day. And we see collectors showing off their collections and just uh, a fun way to celebrate bobbleheads for sure. And, uh, yeah, there's there's actually a 17-foot Conan O'Brien bobblehead out there that didn't get the, I don't think they contacted Guinness uh, for the world record, but there's uh, one that's about two feet larger than that that, Right last we heard was in uh, the parking lot at their studio. Wow. Bobbleheadhall.com, folks. Bobbleheadhall.com. Phil Sklar, co-founder and CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Phil, thanks very much. This is great. I I saw your virtual tour. It's unbelievable. I really look forward to getting up to Milwaukee and going through the Hall of Fame up there and having you give us a tour. Right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Aaron. appreciate you having us on. And anytime you want to talk bobbleheads... uh, You know where to find us. You take care, Phil. Thanks very much. Thanks, Phil. Yep, you too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please take time to like and share this and other episodes of St. Louis in Tune that can be found on SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. Thank you for listening. I'm Arnold Strickland.